bit about what you're doing and what you're working toward about being a blue zone. Of course, I live, uh, he kind of explained to me what that's all about. And uh, I live right near Loma Linda, and so I kind of understand a little bit about that. But he said, I want you to come and preach on faith. And I, I think, uh, I was thinking through, of course, my sermon title, you probably saw, is, that, is a faith that works. And I was thinking through several things uh, that don't work. I don't know about you, but there are several things that I can think of that don't work. The, uh, the slow leaking tire on our car as we drove here, something that doesn't work. Found a screw in the tire last night. And then something else that didn't work was the green slime that I was trying to put in the tire. It wouldn't go in for whatever reason. I followed the directions. I've done it before. It wouldn't go in. It got green slime all over my hands, all over the tire. It worked this morning finally. Uh, finally. A few other things that don't work. The uh, Samsung Note 7 doesn't work, right? Uh, that's billions of dollars to Samsung. How about this? Uh, just cars in general don't work. We've also had a lot of problem with this particular car, but doesn't it seem like the car is always in the shop or it always has something that has to be replaced? Uh, here's something that doesn't work at least this year, presidential primaries. <laughs> just uh, thinking that doesn't really work anymore. You know, the only thing that seems to work is the second law of thermodynamics, which is everything that does work eventually stops working. That's what that second law says. So, But I think all of that points to a larger and a deeper reality in life, and that's this. We want things in our lives to work. It's an assumption. There is, there's no one that ever said when they meet a new friend, you know, I really hope we have a major falling out and we become bitter rivals. <laughs> no one has ever said that, right? Uh, or, or what about this? No one has ever said on their wedding day, you know, I really hope this marriage crashes and burns 30 years from now. Nobody has ever said that before. We assume that it's going to work because we want it to work. No child has ever said, I hope my parents let me down repeatedly by never doing what they promise. And no parent has ever said, I hope my children grow up to be adult reprobates. We want life to work. And the other part of this is we want our spiritual lives to work as well. We want to believe that what we can't see is real. We want to believe that what the Bible says is true. And we want to believe these promises. Romans 6.23, the wages or the payment of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to believe what uh, Jesus said in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We want to believe that that is true. We want to believe what Jesus said in John 5:24, "Truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life." We want to know that if we turn from our sin and desires and we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, we will have forgiveness of our sin, we'll have peace with God and eternal life. The bottom line here is that we want a faith that works. That's what we want in our spiritual lives. And why is faith so important? Before I talk to you about a faith that works, why is this so important? I think there are three primary reasons that we can think about this morning of why faith is important. The first one is this. There is more to this life than what we can see. There's more to this life than what we can see. We know there is more because God has given us the innate ability to know that there is more to this life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, here's what the Bible says. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon says God placed eternity 
in our hearts. That basically means that God has given us a knowledge that there is more than just this life around us. And the result is we want to know this bigger picture. We want to know what is outside of what we can see. We want to have a last, lasting impact. We want to be a part of what's going on in this big picture, but we want to know how we fit into the big picture. So we try to understand our existence in different ways. That could be through philosophy. It can be through science. And we try other methods to try and figure it out. But we cannot, as as, uh, Solomon said, we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end because we cannot understand the things of God apart from God or his ways or his method. And therefore, we must have faith in God. Faith is required to understand the bigger picture because we may not know the future, but we must, I'm kind of adapting this saying, we may not know the future, but we must know the one who holds the future. So we can only know God through faith. Here's another reason that faith is important. God created us to know him. Our our natural senses are, are limited. We cannot know God personally on our own. Apart from Christ, we can only know that God exists. Romans 1.19 says this, What can be known about God is plain to them, or plain to us as humans, because God has shown it to us. He goes on, Paul goes on to talk about God being evident in what he has created. So we know that God exists because he's made us to know his existence and because he reveals himself through his creation. But this kind of knowledge is limited. It's limited to only his existence. We cannot truly know him through this kind of knowledge because knowing God takes something more. Faith is required. And that leads to a final reason why faith is important. It's this. We must have faith in order to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and believe that he rewards those who seek him. So in other words, to please God, first, we have to believe that he exists, which requires faith because we cannot see him. And we must believe that he is good to those who seek him, which again requires faith because we cannot see him. But the question is, what does it mean when the writer of Hebrews says to please God? Well, it's very simple, really. It just means to be in right standing with God. If, if we want to be pleasing to God, we have to be in right standing uh, with him. So to move from being his enemy to being his friend, that's what we're talking about. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we were enemies of God. I don't know about you, but that is a weak tactical position to be in. In fact, it's the weakest tactical position to be in, to be an enemy of God. And not only that, you cannot please God if you're an enemy of God. Therefore, to please God, you must move from being an enemy to a friend. And we cannot do that on our own. Galatians 2, verse 16 says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified, or in other words, a person is not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus. We have believed, here's another faith word, in Christ Jesus in order to be made right by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be made right before God. But see, faith doesn't end there. Followers of Jesus are to live lives of faith. If we're going to please God, we've got to live lives of faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17, you know this verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So faith is important for living, but faith is vital for followers of Jesus. We want a faith that works, but we really need a faith that works. And fortunately, James gives us an idea of what a faith that works is like. If you take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2, while you're turning there to James chapter 2, verse 14, we'll start there. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of James to kind of set this up. James is written to Jewish believers. In the very first verse of the first chapter, he says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, that sounds like that's only to Jewish people, but James identifies himself in that verse as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would immediately eliminate a hearing from unbelieving Jews at that point. And so his audience here is believing Jews. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he speaks of a faith that he shares with the readers. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And in the first verse of, of chapter 2, he says that they hold to a faith in Jesus. So these are believers he's writing to. And he's trying to explain to him, explain to them in the passage we're going to look at, the nature of real faith. Now, what we need to know is this. This is a confused, I think this is a little bit of a confusing passage. Because, uh, well, first of all, I don't, uh, next year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I don't know if you realize it or not, but uh, we probably wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin. But 500 years ago, uh, Martin Luther started this whole thing of the Reformation. Now, to be fair, Martin Luther wanted to rip James out of the Bible. He did not like the book of James because it talked about works. But what we're going to see today is that James is actually talking about a faith that really works, a real faith, because he's addressing an issue that was very prevalent in his day. On the one side, you had Jewish believers who said, you know, we have to believe in Jesus, but it's believing in Jesus plus keeping the law. And we can kind of relate to that, can't we? We know people that, oh, yeah, it's believing in Jesus plus going to church on Sunday, plus keeping the sacraments, plus doing this so that I can keep my faith. There are people like that out there. Now, that's not us as Baptists, but there are others out there that do that. On the other hand, there were others that said, no, it's Jesus only. And you never have to do anything ever. And so you have these probably antinomianists over here, which they were against the law over here, which said no works at all. I can live however I want as long as I got Jesus. And we know a few of those, too, I think, don't we? And we have these over here. No, it's Jesus plus works. And so James is trying to address this issue when he starts speaking in verse 14 of chapter two. Read, read with me there. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They're terrified at that point. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, in this passage, James shows us a faith that works. But like so many other things that we're trying to learn about, he starts by defining a faith that doesn't work. And so he gives us the opposite. In fact, I want to show you three marks in this passage of a faith that doesn't work. Here's the first one. A faith that doesn't work is all about belief without action. Belief without action. He says, what good is it in verse 14, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that kind of faith save him? So James had to address the issue of people who said they believed in Jesus but never acted on his behalf. A few things to note about James and works really quick. First of all, works for James are always the result of real faith. Works are always the result of real faith. A real faith always in James' minds, James' mind produces righteous action. But works do not produce real faith. Let's say that together. Works do not produce real faith. Say it one more time for all the half-listeners that just joined us. Works do not produce real faith. The reason I do that is because every time I preach this message, there's always somebody at the end who half listened to the sermon and says, so you're saying that I have to work to produce faith? I'm like, I just spent 30 minutes or 40 minutes talking about that. So you said it by your own lips. And James doesn't believe that. Faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not by works. So, Works, then, will not give you a right standing before God. Galatians 3.11 says it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. How many people are justified before God by the law? No one. That's right. The righteous shall live by faith. So works to James are the evidence of real faith. Real faith in Jesus, in James' mind, changes your actions. Therefore, real faith is proved by righteous action. Because good works start with God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in light of all of this, James shows us that belief that does not lead to action is not real faith. It doesn't work. Now, what does that look like? What does faith without action look like? Well, I think this is what it looked like then, and I think this is what it looks like now. I think it's someone who... Claims to be a believer. I think it's someone, because uh, James is writing to believers, I think it's somebody who's a regular attender uh, at their church, at our church, at any church. Uh, someone who knows everyone and is known by the congregation, maybe even a leader in a congregation somewhere, maybe even a moral person, but there is no real evidence of real faith in Christ Jesus. There's no real ministry. There's no real serving others. There's no real commitment of time or resources. They're, they're always on the periphery. They're always got one foot in, but really a passive participant. And James says, can that faith save him? Is this faith real? And we can't see this in the English. But in the Greek, what we see is there's a negative particle there that tells us the way that James is asking the question in Greek, 
The answer is no. It cannot save him. So that shouldn't surprise us, though. Jesus said the same thing. He said this in Matthew 7, 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Note that that saying we believe by saying, Lord, Lord, it wasn't even enough for Jesus at that point. Those who believe obey because they do the will of my father is what Jesus said. And doing, though, doing alone is not enough. Because these people were doing things, but their actions weren't flowing from a real faith. And remember that James believes that real faith produces action. So one mark of a faith that doesn't work is belief without any action. Here's a second mark. Talk without compassion. Verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the needs needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's the situation. Uh, A fellow believer, this is a fellow believer. It's not somebody who's on the street. It's not somebody who's homeless and wandering from town to town. This is a fellow believer. And James is giving us a situation here because this is a real situation. These are real situations. So it's a fellow believer who has a basic need, clothing or food or clothing and food. Another believer acknowledges the need, but only with words. This saying, go in peace, it's the Hebrew expression for goodbye. And and, and in this context, it signifies indifference and even mockery. The person sees the need and says, hey, go in peace, see you later, and is mocking the person or is indifferent to their needs. The, The saying, be warmed and filled, it's in the passive voice. And it means this, let somebody else make sure that you're warm. Let somebody else make sure that you're filled. Let somebody else do it. And it's even worse than that. The word warmed has in mind the effect of being warmed, but not the means. And the word filled has in mind the effect of being filled, but not the food that's required. So this is a person who sees the need and doesn't address it. Uh, What comes to mind here is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. You have two religious people that pass by this person who's lying by the side of the road, and they do absolutely nothing about it. And I think that's what James is talking about here. He says, what good is that? And the obvious answer is, well, it's, it's no good. It's talk without compassion. It, it comes from a faith that doesn't work. And again, that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus talked about the same thing. In Matthew 25, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry and you, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, notice it says the righteous. It doesn't say the people who did those things. It says those who have been made right with God, which presupposes by faith. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The primary point here of Jesus' story is not that we can earn our way into heaven. That is not the point he's making. The primary point is this. That those who have faith in Jesus, those who follow him with their lives, those who invoke his name will have compassion for others in deep need. You are not a follower of Christ. You are not a Christian just because you say so. This is what James says in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's without purpose. It is lifeless. It is useless. Talk without compassion, is a mark of a faith that doesn't work. Here's one more mark of a faith that doesn't work in uh, verses 18 through 20. It's confession without conviction. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You have the gift of faith. I have the gift of works, all right? Uh, show me your faith. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Here's the situation. One person says they have faith. Another person says they have works. But here's the thing. What they're saying, the person that has faith without any works, they're saying, you know, it's a private thing. This is a personal matter. It just doesn't show up in my life. You know, this is between me and God. We've heard that a lot, haven't we? We heard that a lot during political campaigns, but that's, you know, we hear that a lot. And James says then, he comes in their face and he says, I dare you to show me your faith apart from your actions. It can't be done. Faith is real, but faith is invisible. And the counter to that is, well, you know, I believe that God is one. This is uh, going back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6. I believe that God is one. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord, uh, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. We might say it this way. I believe in God. And he says, oh, that's good. Yeah, the demons also believe in God. And they are terrified because they are, they are being, they're going to be judged and there's going to be a place of eternal torment for them. And at the end, he, when he says, you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless, it's basically him saying, does any of this make sense now? That faith apart from works is dead? Think, think about this with me for a minute. The nature of faith. Hebrews 11 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. How, how do you demonstrate your assurance or your lack of assurance? You can only do it through your actions. You can only do it through your emotions, right? You can't say that you are certain and then act in a way that's contrary to that. Or you can say that you are not certain and not act in a way, I guess, in, in a, a way that's uh, fitting with that. But your actions always show what your assurance is all about. Faith, he goes on to say, is the conviction of things not seen. How do your convictions show up? Only in how you live. The decisions you make and you act on. So faith, faith that doesn't work is a confession that has no conviction. 
Faith that doesn't work is, a, is talk without co- compassion. And faith that doesn't work is just belief without action. It makes no sense to James that someone can have faith without it showing up in his actions. That kind of faith is pointless and doesn't work. It's, it's kind of like a story I heard about a, um, a skydiver. This happened back in 1988. I actually looked up the news story and found it on, uh, <clears throat> on the Internet. I'm going to get my water while I tell you this. But a skydiver who was a photographer was taking pictures of other skydivers, and he jumped out of the plane. He had all his photographic equipment and everything else. And it wasn't until the last person opened his parachute that he went to reach for his ripcord, and he realized he didn't have one. He was not wearing a parachute. He thought he was wearing a parachute. I guess you could say he believed he was wearing a parachute, but it was just his photographic equipment. And, of course, he plummeted to his death. That's a faith that doesn't work. Now, thankfully, James gives us two marks of a faith that does work. So let me share those with you. The first mark of a faith that does work is this. Obedience no matter what God says. Obedience no matter what God says. In verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, I think this is where it gets a little confusing just by the way it's worded in the English. But here's what's going on. James is recalling Genesis 22 where God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. This is a huge thing for Abraham because Isaac is the son of the promise, the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 15. He said, you're going to have a son. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. And Abraham's like, uh, I have no heir at this point. He says, but you're going to be a mighty nation. From you is going to come forth this multitude of people. And if you can count the stars or the grains of sand, that's what your people is going to be like. And so Abraham is not quite understanding that in Genesis 15. But in Genesis 22, now he understands it because God has made the promise come true. And Isaac is the son of the promise. And now God tells him to go and sacrifice the son of his, pro- of his promise. This is why this story is so huge. Now, James says, wasn't he justified by works? This makes it sound like he is made right by his works, but that's not what, that is not what's going on here. It's clear to read it was not Abraham's faith vindicated or demonstrated by his works. It's not Abraham's works making him right before God. How do I know that? Well, because of Genesis 15. Listen to what Genesis 15 says. This happens before Genesis 22, both in chapter order and chronologically, by the way, right? Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now listen, and Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham exercised his faith, not just in the person of God, but also in what God promised. And God credited 
it to him as righteousness. In that moment that that Abraham or Abram believed God and took him at his word, God said, boom, I'm making you righteous because of his faith. So by the time Abraham took Isaac up the mountain as an act of obedience, he already had a faith that worked. He already had a faith and a living faith with the living God that made him right before God. So when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, his faith was driving him to obey. His conviction was that God would keep his word to provide an heir. His conviction drove him to obey God no matter what God said and told him to do. In fact, here's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered what God was able, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So in other words, Abraham's like, hey, God made this promise. I believed him back in Genesis 15. That's not exactly what he said. But I believed him back several years ago. This is what he said he's going to do. If he tells me to kill my only son, he can raise from the dead. He can raise up another son. He's going to keep his promise. Now that, that is a faith that works. Go back and read James 2.22. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed or faith was brought to its goal by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled or we could say shown to be true that says Abraham believed God. And it was then counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. This is the truth. Obedience is the proof that faith is at work. A.W. Tozer said this, The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. A faith that works compels us to obey God no matter what he says. The problem, the problem, I don't know about you, but the problem for me is that I often don't want to live that kind of faith. I think about the guy that um, fell off this cliff. He just kind of stumbled off the cliff as he was walking, and he managed to grab onto a branch that was hanging out from the cliff. He managed to somehow get a hold of it, and he's hanging there, and he says, God, help me. Somebody, help me. God, please help me. And this voice comes from heaven and says, let go of the branch and I'll, I'll catch you. And he pauses for a minute and he says, is anybody else up there? And that's how we live our life, isn't it? We want another solution that doesn't require the faith that it takes. But that is not a faith that works. Faith that works leads us to obey God. Here's a final mark of faith that works. It's accessible to all. I love this verse, verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, who in the world is Rahab the prostitute? Well, Joshua chapter 2, you probably know this. Joshua sends spies to check out Jericho before uh, they attack Jericho. Rahab and all the other people knew that, I mean, you got to know, the people of Jericho knew that the people of Israel were there. It's not like this is like, uh, it's a big surprise to them. Rahab knew that these people were a different people, and Rahab knew that their God was a great God. And what we find here is that Rahab had a faith in that God. And this is what her faith led her to do. 
She hid those spies in her home. She redirected the people from Jericho that were looking for these spies. She let those spies out the window because she trusted the God of Israel. It was her faith, not her works, that made her right before God. But her actions justified or demonstrated her faith. And of course, when Israel attacked Jericho, they, they saved Rahab. Rahab the prostitute married a man named Salmon. Salmon was the father to a man named Boaz. Boaz was the father to Obed, who was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father to King David. So King David's great, great, probably great grandmother was a prostitute. Not something you really want to talk about, right? But here's the thing. It's recorded in the biblical history. And it goes on because God used a prostitute who had faith, faith in a God that she could not see. God used that prostitute to fulfill messianic prophecy because Jesus is in the line of David. So Jesus' great ancestor back in Jericho was a prostitute. What's the point? A faith that works is available to everyone. It's available to anyone who wants it. A faith that works changes the way you live your life. It changes you individually. It changes your family. It changes your church. And it changes your community. I love this story um, by Ken Davis. Ken is a fantastic speaker, fantastic communicator. He said he was asked to prepare a, uh, a speech in one of his college classes. It was a speech class. And so he said the title of his talk was The Law of the Pendulum. The Law of the Pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released, right? So basically, if you release the pendulum here, it's going to travel around here. It's never going to come back to the point you release it. Everybody understand that? That's what the Law of the Pendulum is. It says because of the friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it's at rest. He says, I attached a three-foot string to a child's toy top and secured it to the top of the blackboard with a thumbtack. I pulled the top <clears throat> to one side and made a mark on the blackboard where I let it go. Each time it swung back, I made a new mark. It took less than a minute for the top to complete its swinging and come to rest. And when I finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved my thesis. They just went less and less and less. I then asked how many people in the room believed and had faith that the law of the pendulum was true. And all of my classmates raised their hands, and so did the teacher. And he started to walk to the front of the room, thinking the class was over. In reality, it had just begun. Hanging from the steel ceiling beams in the middle of the room was a large, crude, but functional pendulum, 250 pounds of metal weights tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. I invited the instructor as he walked forward to climb up on a table and sit on a chair with the back of his head against a cement wall. Then I brought the 200 pounds of metal up to his nose, holding the huge pendulum just a fraction of an inch from his face. I once again explained the law of the pendulum. He had applauded only moments before. If the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and return short of the release point. Your nose will be in absolutely no danger. After that final statement of the law, I looked him in the eye and I said, Sir, do you believe this law is true? There was a long pause. Huge beads of sweat formed on his upper lip. And then weakly he nodded and whispered, yes. 
I released the pendulum. It made a swishing sound as it arced across the room. At the far end of its swing, it paused momentarily, momentarily and started back. I never saw a man move so fast in my life. He literally dived from the table, deftly stepping around the still-swinging pendulum. I asked the class, does he believe and have faith in the law of the pendulum? And the students unanimously answered, no. Faith changes the way you live your life. Simple belief does not. What kind of faith are we talking about? It's a faith that works. It's a faith that Abraham and, and Rahab had. But it has a specific object, and that object is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, real faith is not just in anything. Real faith is in Jesus. Real faith is not just a sincerity of belief without caring about the content of belief. To James, the object of faith is Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1 of James says, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Real faith in Jesus leads to salvation. Faith in Christ is the gateway to righteousness. Faith in Christ, not works, not actions, is the way to salvation. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified or is made right, before God or is transferred from being an enemy to a friend of God by faith apart from works of the law. Real faith in Jesus changes everything. So the question is, do you have real faith in Jesus? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Do we really have faith in Jesus? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. And if you have faith in Jesus, the second question is, Are you allowing your faith in Christ to work? you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we can look at your word and we can study your word and we can understand your word because you've enabled us to do that. And it's faithful and it's never wrong. And Lord, we pray that we will be people of a faith that works, that we'll be people who have faith in you, Lord Jesus, But not only people who have faith in you, but people who live by faith every moment of every day, knowing that you are in control, that you are in charge, and you are guiding our steps, and your sovereign action is helping us to move toward your sovereign goal and will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.